What's up, everyone? This is Avery Smith here from the Data Career Podcast. I'm coming at you with a new episode, a new interview with Greg Coquillo. Super cool guy. He is currently a technical manager at Amazon. He's one of LinkedIn's top voices in data science and artificial intelligence in 2020, and just a great resource to know for the data community. Um, really enjoyed my conversation with him. Super nice guy. We got to talk a little bit about how he got into data, how industrial engineering kind of led him down that route, and a little bit more about what he does now, how he helps business-oriented people understand data and understand data projects, how he helps business teams do better with data, and just a little bit about what he's gained out of LinkedIn and posting about data in general. So Anyways, if you are in business, if you want to understand business, you want to understand analytics and how it uses and how it brings value, listen to this episode. Definitely connect with Greg. I'll go ahead and throw his LinkedIn in the show notes down below. Definitely check him out. He's a great resource. Would love to connect with all of you guys, I am sure. And I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Data Career Podcast. Here's your host, Avery Smith. Hey everyone, how is it going? I hope you are doing very well. Um, I am doing awesome on this Friday afternoon because I'm here with Greg Coquillo and he's awesome. Greg, welcome to the Data Career Podcast. Avery, thank you so much for uh, having me and it's great to be here with uh, the audience. It's an honor to be here. And uh, I'm happy to, to talk about uh, everything data or everything not data. So uh, thank you for uh, inviting me in. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I was just posting yesterday on my Instagram. I was like so excited to have you. Um, for those who don't know Greg, go ahead and connect with him right now if you're on LinkedIn. I'll give you a quick introduction to who he is, but you can you can tell pretty quickly how much value Greg brings and, and how much he knows based off of his LinkedIn. Um, but Greg Coquillo is constantly adding and sharing value to the data community. He's currently working as a technology manager at Amazon where he helps shape their AI vision. And he was nominated as one of LinkedIn's top voices in data science and artificial intelligence in 2020. He's an amazing person to follow on LinkedIn as he's always posting interesting content and free guides. So definitely want to learn from Greg. He's a great resource. Um, thank you, everyone who's joining live. I saw that Ron's here. Um, thanks for joining live, Ron. Everyone else who's listening on the podcast, thank you for listening. And let's let's get right into it. Greg, how did you get into data? Because you actually have a degree in industrial engineering, right? How did you end up falling into the into the data world? Yeah, so uh, you, you said it, right? So uh, I guess I can say what led me to industry engineering, uh, being from a, a uh, country in the Caribbean, Haiti, to be more precise. I always wanted to uh, bring industries into a country like mine, uh, my home country, and uh, thinking about how to produce uh, a, a product many times with consistency was what led me to industrial engineering. Now, when it comes to industrial engineering, the core of our specialty is to optimize complex systems, uh, putting these systems together and optimizing them. And that involves uh, including people, money, process, other smaller systems, 
together. And for that, you need data. Uh, you need data to, to, to optimize. And if you think about uh, this as a good segue into uh, uh, what we call now uh, data science, you know, uh, industry engineers are well positioned to uh, understand what the requirements are. It's just that me, uh, from a career perspective, I happen to stick a little bit more towards the business side of things versus uh, being on the technical side, uh, which, as you know, today, data scientists are more uh, oriented towards. Yeah, that's that's interesting because you're totally right that for, an industrial engineering is not actually a common degree, I feel like. I don't feel like that many people end up getting an industrial engineering degree, but an industrial engineering degree is actually one of the best degrees you could possibly get to to transfer into data science, in my opinion. I mean, did you feel like a lot of your uh, the skills and the things you learned in your, your degree have transferred? I think so. Yes, absolutely. It helped me understand the technical side way better. Now, we can I can't go too deep into coding requirements and things like that. However, in the, in the grim scheme of things, uh, what are we looking for when we put systems together? So every data science project uh, is looking to put a system together and uh, many times. Uh, uh, so when it comes to supply and demand type of things, so when the business show up with many use cases and data scientists have to find ways to keep up with these use cases by producing uh, different models to keep up with this demand. So you have the supply demand balance. So we are good at that for from a supply chain perspective. Uh, you have optimization of systems. Uh, operations research is another area where we excel. So when it comes to optimizing, for example, uh, tricks to optimize newer networks and things like that, uh, I think Industrial engineers can deep dive and, and get better at this and easily understand uh, these uh, models and uh, how to uh, uh, create best practices around uh, optimizing these systems. I think the whole idea about um, MLOps uh, to me is about um, optimizing pipelines, uh, delivering faster and quicker. Uh, those are the things that fall under you know continuous improvements. And if we talk, if we're talking about continuous improvements, we're talking to industry engineers. So in other words, it's a matter of uh, where you want to focus, uh, because uh, one, uh, uh, I guess, call out that I can make about industrial engineering is that it's so general. Right. So it's uh, we can navigate everywhere. I can work at a hospital um, minimizing patient visits, visit time. I can work at optimizing ambulance routes for a network of hospitals, right? So uh, to increase or reduce uh, the travel time when they are called, I can work at the at, at a bank to uh, minimize how long somebody has to wait in line or something like that. So uh, we could be at, in manufacturing, which is where I started um, to uh, predict or forecast machine breakdowns. Uh, and, and create some uh, maintenance program, uh, you, know, you name it. Um, I can set up statistical controls to make sure I reduce defects uh, down the production line. So we're pretty much everywhere and we were versed. It's a matter of where do we want to focus our attention to uh, so we can excel. Yeah, you're so right. You're, you guys are s s applied statistics 
in big systems, like you said, always, always improving the process. Um, I guess going, going to your first job out of college, you said that, uh, you were kind of, or maybe not first job out of college, but in the past you've, you know, you've worked on manufacturing improvements and stuff like that. I'm also, I got your uh, LinkedIn profile right here. I'm looking, you also worked at, at Avery Dennison for a while, right? That's right. That's right. Another Avery, yeah. Yeah, another Avery, the le- the lesser Avery, the less cool Avery. But uh, but yeah, um, like you said, I'm just looking at you know the different places that you've worked. You've worked in so many different industries, and that's one thing that's really cool about you know data science and you know in industrial engineering is you're really you don't necessarily have a domain. Your domain is improving other people's domains using the power of data and the power of stats, which is which is like such a cool job because. You could end up in so many different industries in in your you know your career, which is which is so fun. I think you never never a dull moment. Am I right? That's correct. That's correct. And and that's why I I advise anyone to really focus on understanding the business model, um, understanding the business model. What is the purpose? What is the vision of that business model? And also, what are the pain points? Right, you're trying to 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 uh, achieve. Um, so once you have a good understanding of that, or once you understand how to peel the onion and discover issues, you will have a nice bank of projects that you can work on by leveraging data. So if you become a great inspector, uh, a great interviewer, uh, no need to be the subject matter expert, uh, inside of a business, but as a scientist or a data scientist, you need to be very good at interviewing people and surfacing issues, surfacing gaps, or understanding whether uh, data science can help or not, and things like that. So those those are the things that make data-centered people very valuable and effective at what they do. Yeah, I love that. Let's let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, basically, what I heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying you like, for instance, let's say you're a data scientist, or you're you know. I, I actually kind of hate that term data scientist. Let's just say you're someone who data analyzes scientist. data. You have you have data analytics skills. Um, you can go to any industry and you don't necessarily know how no you don't necessarily know have to know anything about that industry. What you said is you have to be a good listener. You have to be a good interviewer. How, how like how do you develop those skills because because what you're saying is you don't like, for instance, um, I interviewed Matt Francis on my podcast a couple of episodes ago, and his background is oil, in oil and gas. And he recently just uh, started a new job at Kellogg's. And now he deals with, you know, groceries and, and cereal. What you're saying is it doesn't matter that he has the oil and gas background. He can learn all he needs to learn about cereal and the grocery stores by listening to other people. Is that what you're saying, basically? That's, that's correct. So major, uh, just about any business ever uh, has uh, a big picture process, right? So they ingest uh, an input, they make a transformation, and they create an output. That output is consumed by an entity or an individual uh, who sees value uh, in that input. So with that... Um, comes, you know, a business, right? That's what this is usually business models are, are uh, built like this uh, since the history of humankind doing business in the world, right? So we started in a very rudimentary practice, which is banters, uh, trading goods and things like that. But at the end of the day, you have to 
uh, produce that good and then uh, exchange it with someone else or uh, just uh, exchange it with monetary, uh, you know, uh, practices. So in other words, um, now you can start peeling the onion uh, in multiple areas, but you have to figure out what you're trying to fix. Are you trying to get more clients, more customers, or are you trying to make it easier for customers to find these transformed goods? Um, or are you trying to make the transformational piece what transforms the input into the output? Are you trying to optimize this, make it more effective? You know, you need to understand where you are. And for that, you need to find the subject matter experts in each of these areas and talk to them and understand uh, what they're going through so you can start taking these back and create your project list, prioritized by impact and effort that you have to put in there and then uh, figure it out, right? So uh, you become the subject matter expert by interviewing the subject matter expert. And remember, it's all about building muscle memory. You do it often, you build muscle memory in terms of how to interview people. You get better and better at asking the right questions. So it, all of that comes with practice. I, I love that because you're totally right. I mean, obviously this is a very important skill. You have to know, I often say on this podcast, doing data science for data science sake is stupid. We shouldn't do it. It's, it's dumb, right? The only reason we should do data science is to improve business outcomes, you know, to bring value to the business. Because if I have the world's, say I made the world's best neural net, best neural net in the world, it's amazing. If it doesn't bring any dollars or any like social good or any value, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so we always need to be providing for the business. That's the whole reason why, you know, these analytics things exist. Um, but it's actually kind of interesting. And um, you, you kind of talked about it here. Do Let me ask you this. Does the business come to the data scientist and say, hey, we have this problem. We want this solution. Can you fix it for us? Or does the data scientist come to the business and say, hey, you're doing things like this right now. If you did it this way, it would be more effective. Which way does it go? I think it will depend on the company culture, right? So um, it, in, the, in, the, in the case of, um, you know, a company that is pro uh, having the business uh, folks drive things, they should be responsible if they are data literate, of course, and they should, uh, they should push that. So it, it, it all starts with the culture, right? Ultimately, I think my personal opinion is that you want your business folks to be data literate, to be very data centered and understand um, the areas that they know they cannot solve themselves through intuition they've built along the years or through simple rules, uh, if then type rules. So these hard-to-answer questions, they need to be very good at uh, surfacing those. Um, so for me, in my personal opinion, I think the business should be driving that. But it doesn't hurt to have a wing, a data science wing, that proactively looks for these. And, and for that, it, regardless of that structure, you need that communication between the two groups. You need to make sure that if that wing looks for issues proactively, that they continuously consult with the business side uh, when they find potential issues 
that uh, they would get alignment from the business prior to even start, you know, uh, performing some hypothesis testings and things like that. So uh, regardless, you have to have that collaboration between the two groups uh, for successful uh, to increase the success rate of these projects. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I kind of asked the question, um, yeah, not, hoping that you wouldn't say one way or the, or the other. It definitely depends. And I, I think a little bit of both sometimes, you know, like sometimes yeah. the business has an idea, they don't know how to do it. So they come to the data science team or sometimes, you know, the data scientists, they can just notice something and they can the business team. And I think there's, I think it's kind of a circle. It's like, yes. It's like a chicken or the egg, which came first, uh, kind of both of them, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and what companies have to do is to kind of agree on what that flywheel will look like, that flywheel that would, you know, perpetrate the uh, finding of issues or finding of opportunities that are most likely uh, to succeed uh, when these two groups are in a perpetual uh, communication loop. So uh, in a sense, Ideas can come from the business as well as ideas can come from data scientists and uh, keep it like this. So that may work for a company. So I don't think there's yeah. a right or wrong setting. I, I agree. Um, and on on my podcast, um, so, so my, I mean, I've worked for two companies as a data scientist, one very small, uh, like 15 people and one very large ExxonMobil with, you know, like 70,000 people, kind of like. Amazon big, right? Um, although Amazon, Exxon, very different companies, very different culture, very different products. Um, however, and I have, I have, to be honest, I have trashed Exxon more than once <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but one thing, I'm going to give them a compliment. One thing that Exxon actually did that was pretty interesting is we, we actually had a data science team embedded in our business unit. Um, so I was part of the data science team in the research unit, but we had like kind of a sister team in the business unit and our relationship. I mean, th this was a good, good theoretical thing. The, the practitioner or the actual, you know, execution wasn't as good, but the idea was that the business team was like integrated very tightly with, with the actual products and businesses, you know, mm -hmm. and they were very data literate people. And their job, and, and many of them were engineers or, or even some were data scientists, um, but their job was to be data literate, to know what data can do, to know what you need for data to work. And their job was to look over the businesses and try to find use cases um, and, and, and discuss with the business how data could help them. And once they found a project, they'd actually send it to the research data team most of the time for us to execute the project. So it was, it was almost like we had, you know, two different teams and one of them was, you know, like more technical actually doing the work. And there was this other one that was just, you know, they were just there to tell people and explain to people and find, you know, opportunities and, and prioritize the opportunities where, where data can help. And it sounds like that's what you've done a lot in your career is you've basically helped people and helped teams be, you know, data oriented to actually understand when and how can data help us? Is that true? Is that, that your that's, role? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a fine flywheel you described there for uh, Exxon, by the way. So. It, it was good in theory. There was definitely some, some hiccups on, on the execution. Um, 
but I, I guess like how, how does someone become like Greg? Like how does someone become like Greg and know where data can help? Like, how do you see those opportunities? Well, uh, first of all, I, I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't want anybody, nobody needs to be like Greg, right? But it's kind of like, <laughs> uh, I can say, um, in terms of in terms of data, I think the best way to go about it is to um, start by understanding its origin, where it's coming from, what's what are the events that triggers the creation of a new data log. So understanding that, and then through uh, the end-to-end um, generation of, of of new data. So if you're if you want to uh, even as a salesperson, right? So you want to understand um, how do you transform a prospect into a data that is stored in your CRM tool, uh, say Salesforce, for example. What is that process like? What triggers that event? You know, is it uh, that first phone call you make to a, a customer? And uh, once that, you know, event is logged into Salesforce, what happens next? Uh, to to that data, uh, you know what what kind of analysis is being done, and how does that generate uh, value for for the business? So understanding uh, a, a trail, uh, you know, follow the money, follow the data, uh, kind of exercise that anybody needs to needs to do if you want to to do that. Now, uh, there's also the analytics piece of it. Um, you know, many resources out there that can help people understand um, what kind of analysis can be done. But before you go there, uh, understand what the business values in terms of metrics, right? You have to find that out first and how they came about this conclusion that these metrics are valuable for them and why, why are these valuable? And then how are they calculated? And with that, uh, you can start, you know, understanding where the data lies that helps them calculate these metrics and then go further out and even test uh, other hypotheses with new metrics that may even create more value to the business because you're coming in to bring new ideas, test new uh, uh, solutions, and with that may come new metrics that you may want to to test. And, and, and um, you know, understanding the origin of data, which is, is a good good place to start, I would say. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. Um, and those skills... Um, you said earlier, you know, these, these skills, they come with practice. They come with, you know, experience. Um, they're not really taught much in school. At least they weren't taught to me much in school, um, which, which can be hard um, because, because it's, it's really, and I've said this before, the difference between a good data scientist and a great data scientist is often their people skills, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to talk to other people, to understand business, to, you know, to actually understand where data science can be applied. And that's not really, that's not a technical skill and, you know, boot camps and master's degrees and even bachelor's degrees are really focused on just those technical skills. So it's, it's important to, to exercise. I think, I think you can learn those even without, without the experience, you know, without a job, you just have to practice it. One of my favorite ways is to figure out how to live a data driven life. So like, I use, I use um, my own data all the time to try to improve my life. So for instance, I have, uh, you know, your phone has screen time, right? Like you're always, it's keeping track of how much time you're on your phone. Do I use that data to try to improve my life? Uh, I always wear an Apple watch. 
Am I using that data to try to improve my life? So there's ways that you can like try to improve, you know, the value, the business, which in this case is me, um, without necessarily having the job. Um, but you're right. It, it just takes experience and, and practice and exercise. Um, and, and also leveraging the very simple tools, right? Don't go too hard on the fancy uh, tools, right? Excel has been here for so many years. It can uh, deliver on many, many uh, questions or many uh, projects. So start there, manipulate data there and try to find, extract some insights from, from this data. Uh, practice it by understanding how uh, your sales monthly uh, fluctuates over over the years or how the past three of years of sales fluctuated and what were the drivers. Discover the simple things using Excel uh, or even the big things. Excel can bring much complexity uh, complexity in, in, in for, for a business. It can achieve a lot of things. So um, there are some quite powerful uh, tools that lie inside of Excel. So start simple and don't fall, don't fall for um, uh, these uh, uh, fancy tools out there yet. I I totally agree. Um, I I've been filming uh, modules for my boot camp that's coming out in a couple of weeks, and in one of them, I'm talking about descriptive statistics and and data visualization. And I'm like, honestly. Descriptive statistics and data visualization and a lot of projects give you 80% of the results with 20% of the effort. You know, like you said, just make a graph and look at it. There's so much data that we haven't analyzed. And if we just like made a graph of it, we could understand, I mean, not everything, you know, it's not going to make us a billion dollars, but it can make us, you know, a couple thousand. Like there's, like you said, there's untapped insights hidden in data that we can find without having to make uh, an ANN with million layers, you know, you don't have to, there's, there's easier yeah. ways. Yeah. And the easy, the, the hard part for us is that when we look at um, a significant amount of data as, uh, as humans, right. We, we find it hard to associate uh, certain visualizations with specific events. So we rely on the machine to, to do that for us. So for example, you're looking at a sales sheet, or sales graph uh, over the past year, and you see that uh, one month thing, and you can't really f- understand or remember what event really triggered that, uh, uh, you know, you know, that affected sales during that month. So uh, you rely on a tool to 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 give you those. And um, I think, but just to your point, just visualizing it will start. Uh, will help you start asking questions. Yes. What, what happened that month? What happened in May? How yes. can I go deep dive that? So, so I can prevent it from happening again. And, and that's where, you know, it, it, it matters to start small and, and leverage the uh, simple tools that you have accessible to you now. And then before you go to more complex uh, landscape. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, a lot of people ask me, you know, Oh, do I need to know how to program to have have a data career? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so a data career is huge. Uh, it, it, it's a lot. It, there's a big space out there. Uh, again, you could be an, an industry engineer and you have a data career. You could be an accountant and have a data career. Uh, accountants they need help. Companies with big accounting teams they need they need help. 
finance teams. Uh, they leverage Excel, for example, heavily to uh, reconcile their their uh, you know uh, operational plans or accounting uh, to reconcile their books, etc. Uh, transactions and things. So um, you don't need to know uh, programming. So there are a lot of uh, local tools that exist. Again, Excel, uh, uh, you know, that you can leverage. Uh, and then added to that, um, in the recent years, we've seen uh, the emergence of great quality visualization tools, uh, Tableau, Power BI, uh, that are very uh, flexible into connecting with uh, other data sources that you can leverage to uh, generate your uh, visualizations. And even these tools are beat up by uh, some key features uh, like ML, where you can leverage a question, uh, natural language processing to um, find uh, key business insights about your data. Uh, where you don't have to learn how to code uh, to leverage the built-in ML feature of Power BI, for example, uh, just drag and drop kind of uh, approach. So uh, who says you have to know how to program? Uh, there's a minimum you have to learn, but uh, uh, not not the hardcore. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think we've been talking about a lot of positions right now, even, you know, like these people that, you know what data can do and you have the ability to have the eye to see where it can be applied in business. And you can just tell someone else to do it. You know, that's, that's also a spot where you don't necessarily need all you, you don't have to know how to do it. You just have to know what the outcome would be if you did do it. Um, I did want to go back to a little bit about, you know, business oriented people and business oriented teams. Um, you mentioned earlier that you really think they should be data literate. Well, why is that? Well, uh, I think um, like any engine, there's a, a source that fuels it. And pretty much data is what fuels uh, businesses, if you consider a business as an engine. And uh, that's what gives you a pulse check in terms of how far you can go, right? Your uh, think level will tell you when the car is going to turn off, when it's running out, or how far you can go in terms of mileage, et cetera. Um, and the, the difference between a fuel engine and things like that is that you can transform the data to kind of answer other questions, right? Or how do I generate new opportunities for myself? Really, data is seen as a pulse check, right? So um, as a business-oriented person, you want to understand whether the performance of your business is in part to the business's goal, mission, vision, um, so those things are very important without knowing, for example, how many customers are unhappy with your product, uh, is, uh, not knowing how many customers are unhappy with your products can be very, uh, detrimental to your business. If you don't, uh, you know, mind that data and understand what's going on and address it in a timely manner. So, uh, in today's world, uh, we can't rely on just siloed teams, to manipulate data and understand uh, what's going on in the grand scheme of things, you need uh, everybody from a cultural perspective to understand uh, what's going on by leveraging uh, uh, data and manipulating it uh, at the simplest simplest level uh, to make some uh, quick um, 
I guess, uh, discoveries and take quick actions. And businesses today have to be very uh, flexible. We cannot wait all the time for big data projects to come to life before we take make decisions. So you need to be flexible enough to do some quick analysis and make quick decisions to stay afloat. Or I like that. Afloat. I like that. You you uh, you don't have to be prof, you know completely proficient, but you have to know enough to you know data scientists. It's hard to get on the priority list sometimes. So. Maybe, maybe you can do some initial digging yourself. Um, and, and with that, like how can more of these like business, business oriented teams ensure that their data projects don't end up dead? There's like that statistic out there. I don't believe it, but I don't know if you've seen the statistic. It's like that like 80% of data projects fail. Like, how do we lower that number? I also don't believe that number, but let's pretend like that actually is the number. Why wh- Why are, are these projects failing? Yeah, um, I guess a lot of the, the nature of data science projects are kind of like trial and error um, yeah. by nature, right? So yeah. when it comes to trial and error, what do you, what do you hear? Uh, you, you already hear a lot of failures will happen, right? That's yeah. one. Uh, another thing too is a lack of communication really um, communication between who owns that final metric, who has the yes, no say for that metric that is struggling or that needs improvement, uh, that misalignment that happens with that person, that point of contact and the people who can bring the solution. When misalignment happens, then you're, you're doomed to fail uh, because, you know, expectations uh, change, um, and, and the things that we can talk about to, to, to minimize these failures is to start communications early, right? Gain alignment early. If you look into uh, the uh, data science lifecycle, uh, you consider the very first uh, task, which is business problem understanding. Um, in that sense, this is where, uh, for me, it has lasted months just that cycle, right? Just that task right there yeah. where uh, people get together to uh, understand uh, or agree that this is a valid problem that a simple, uh, that cannot simply be answered uh, anywhere, any other way, but through a data science uh, solution. And, um, you know, then once you agree that there's a pain point there, you have to start um, thinking about what that solution looks like um, and, you know, setting expectations uh, with the business. So this conversation has to happen as soon as possible and even um, understanding what are the risks of delivering uh, to that solution and make sure that business folks agree to these risks. It's all about making sure and throughout the project itself, you want to maintain this communication. So uh, there's no drift, right? There could be some drift where uh, business folks say, well, that's not what I was expecting here. Why did we change this? When did that change kind of conversation? And then you have, you know, inside of that transformation too, you have, you know, something like feature engineering uh, uh, process, you know, figuring out what are the things that as a data scientist, I can start, you know, I can maintain communication with the business to understand that uh, to make sure that they understand why we arrived at certain conclusions. So in other words, long story short, um, continuous communication, I think that's the biggest 
um, uh, fall. And typically when projects deviate from uh, business goals or business missions, uh, they tend to fail. You, you mute. Sorry about that. I, uh, I raised my desk. I didn't want to hear the noise. Um, there's that theme again of, you know, what makes a good data scientist, what makes a good data project, people skills, being able to communicate. Um, so I don't think we can emphasize that enough that people think, oh, they, they hear my job. I kind of explain what I do. Oh, you're, you're a programmer. Well, I mean, sometimes, but a lot of the times I'm a, you know, I'm a business person. I'm a marketer. I'm a, you know, operations person, you know, trying to, to actually talk to the, the unit and understand their problems and make sure we are solutions actually solving their problem. Uh, so I think, I think that's great advice. Um, another thing I was thinking about while you were kind of answering is people sometimes forget that data science is, has that word in it, science, you know? Um, I come from a background of chemical engineering and I worked inside of a, of a chemistry lab as an undergrad. Um, and I was a, a technician and I would run experiments and these experiments would take like four hours lo long, you know, and sometimes it wouldn't go well. Like sometimes we forgot to, to plug in a tube or we forgot to press start or like we forgot to unplug something and the experiment would fail. And you'd have to restart the whole thing and it would take another four hours. Um, you know, and, and that happens in data science too. We're just lucky that a lot rebuilding in data science often doesn't take four hours, right? You can press rerun on that code really quickly, but it doesn't, doesn't mean just because it's fast sometimes doesn't mean that it's, it's not still science. We're still trying to figure out all of this stuff. Um, so I, I think that was a great point. Um, the last thing I want to ask you is, well, I guess, yeah. Well, the last thing I want to ask you is why do you post on LinkedIn? You know, because, because you're, you're posting every day and you have like this full-time job at Amazon, you're providing awesome content and interesting information for the community. What, what drives you, man? Why, why are you doing that? Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's no like, um, strict reason. I think there are some, you know, personal reasons in terms of testing my knowledge and um, making sure that, um, you know, gain some, a, a little bit of confidence in terms of uh, a, a, an area that wasn't part of my uh, portfolio before. Uh, again, you know, to me, and I have some people who would disagree with that. I don't call myself a data scientist. Um, uh, I have uh, people in my uh, integrated machine learning family uh uh, led by many uh, in the community here. I see one here, Manpreet. Thank you for showing up. I see you on the on the list here. Uh, who would disagree and would consider me as a data science um, uh, student? So uh, when I come across different uh, subjects that I find interesting, that I'm able to understand, I I find it uh, as a duty to share it with the community so they can grow as well. I do uh, like to promote that. Um, things that I feel like are uh, useful, I try to put my own spin into it. Um, and with that, I open myself up to uh, feedback, right? Good or bad. And uh, regardless, it reinforces my knowledge of said subject. So with that over time, um, I feel like it, it makes me better. Uh, posting on LinkedIn also helps me uh, 
practice my uh, content generation skills, right? So I write a lot of documents at work currently, uh, and it helps me curate a lot of paper. It helps me read faster too, because posting content also requires me to also consume uh, a lot of content. So I have to tap into many articles, so I have to get faster at that. Um, it, there are so many um, benefits for myself, uh, and I'm I'm hoping and, and thank you for that that you know the audience also see value into this. Um, and at the end of the day, it's all about helping each other. And in uh, the last leg too is um, I, I I see myself uh, over the next uh, years to uh, helping more startups uh, grow in that space too. So building an audience, I attract a lot of uh, uh, startup, you know, founders, co-founders that uh, end up reaching out to me so we can discuss, uh, look for opportunities or uh, how I can help them on the business, on their business model, um, how to uh, lay out the strategy for their business and things like that. So with that, um, I need more practice to better help them uh, reach their goals. So uh, it's been a mutually beneficial a journey that I'm uh, not seeing any, I'm not planning on stopping anytime soon. So I really enjoy it. That, that's awesome. There was a, I loved how there was multiple reasons, you know, and some of that is to, like you said, it's, it's a symbiotic relationship. Some of that is to give and some of that, you know, you're not, I don't, I don't like the word take, but you're also being given to um, from the community. Um, yeah. I loved what you said about, I have to learn how to, you know, how to write better, you know, how do I write something that's interesting to someone? How do I summarize? Cause you post a lot of articles. How do I summarize the gist of an article in a way that helps someone understand it? How do I learn to read faster and consume faster and, you know, pick out the important parts. Um, and then on top of that, helping the community attracting. Anyways, it's very cool what you're doing. Um, I love it. I think you're on the right path. I, I definitely love the article. So I'm sure uh, everyone else does as well. So thank, thank you for your contributions to the community. We really appreciate it. Yes, I do appreciate it too. It's a humbling uh, exercise and a humbling journey. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, I continuously learn from good content creators too uh, out there. Um, I continuously learn from people who have platforms, right? So if you think about how you and I got in touch uh, with each other and things like that. So I love being in uh, different sessions as much as I can to to learn from other people and hoping that other people learn from me as well. So uh, I appreciate you inviting me again to this platform to be able to share my story and share my point of view. And uh, I invite anyone else too to uh, give me feedback and um, you know uh, uh, point me in the right direction on on, on uh, anything that I've uh, may have addressed. Um, always looking for different perspectives. And I think as the community is set up like this, being open to uh, listening to uh, people's different perspectives, and that's what makes the community so strong. And I'm grateful for that. That's awesome. Craig, you're you're a good man. You're a humble guy. I love that. You're uh, in sales. There's this thing called ABC, always be closing. I've, I've changed it to ABL, always be learning. And I can tell you're definitely someone who, who, you know, is always learning in their life and super cool. I mean, just from like a perspective of you're a supervisor at Amazon, 
Like that's obviously a prestigious company, a prestigious role. Um, like, yeah. And yeah, here you are. You're like, I want to learn from other people. So I, I appreciate you, man. I, I think that's awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll end it on this note. I just uh, saw a comment here uh, from Marcel uh, Rogu, who's, who's actually Marcel, we worked at Exxon together, right? I can't, I can't tell, but he says, go Gators. This is my sign. Thank you, Marcel. Thank you so much. Go Gators indeed. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining the podcast. I really appreciate it. Everyone who's listening, definitely follow Greg on LinkedIn to get those valuable curated articles and insight in all things tech and data. So give him a follow. I'll have his uh, LinkedIn connection uh, in the show notes as well. So thank you again for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, Marcel's here. AO's here. Sneha's here. Myra, thank you. Ron, thank you. James, thank you. Appreciate your guys' support. And uh, I think we'll be on next week with another pod. So uh, we'll see you guys then. All right. Bye everyone. Bye.